Yes! Welcome to episode 40, that's right, 40, of Rockstar Violinist, the podcast from Electric Violin Shop that brings you the hippest string players alive. I'm your host, Matt Bell. I must say, it has been such a privilege to hang with 40 awesome individuals so far. I even have a few more interviews in the can that I cannot wait for you guys to hear. Thank you for all your support in this. It has been one of the most amazing projects I've ever been involved with. If you have not checked out all 40 of these interviews, please do. And subscribe and comment on whatever platform you're listening on. That helps us so much. There is cool stuff happening in the string world right now. If you're despairing over the state of music in the world because of what's happening on your radio station, don't. Music is alive and well. You just have to know where to look. One such place is my friend Rob Flax. We're enjoying his tune, Alpaca Noir, right now. And since he can tell his story better than I can, let's just shoot over to my dining room in Cary, North Carolina, open a frosty beverage, and enjoy an hour or so with Rob Flax, rock star violinist. So cheers. Cheers, man. Uh, we're sitting here with Rob Flax. Howdy. It's uh. It's good, man. You uh, you sort of surprised me the other day. I had remembered that you were coming to town at some point, but I didn't remember when. Ta-da. And we were doing a live stream at Electric Violin Shop, and I see Rob Flax pop up, and he goes, Hey, I'm going to be in Raleigh. I'm like, hold on, everybody. <laughs> hold that thought. Rob and I have chatting to do. <laughs> I'm glad it worked out. Yeah, so I got to come see you last night, um, doing your solo act here in town. That's right. Tell us about the tour you're on. Well, it's quite an interesting adventure. I'm doing a solo tour and I'm uh, singing my own original songs and playing my own original tunes and uh, I call it the one man band tour because I usually bring a a pedal board with a looper on it and um, this particular one is uh, mostly, actually entirely at this point, on the mega bus. So I ride down on one dollar buses. I'll take a one dollar bus from Boston to New York and then New York to Philadelphia Philadelphia to D.C., D.C. to Durham, and then Durham, I'm going to Atlanta next, and then from there I'll fly home, but the majority of the traveling has been on super discounted bus fare, and uh, it's not so bad. People like to complain about the buses, but I I really enjoy it because then I'm not the one doing the driving. There's Wi-Fi and power outlets on the bus, and I can sit there and just get work done and send emails, and when I arrive, you know, maybe a couple hours slower. Uh, <laughs> I'm ready to roll. Yeah, but that's one of the biggest things about being on tour is find a way to kill all the time you got, right? That's right. So I done. <laughs> right. Yes. You kill it on the bus, Easy. and you actually get some work done. That's right. If I were the one driving, I'd have to, you know, find something to do like download all the Rockstar Violin podcasts. Oh yeah, or yeah. <laughs> Which I have done, by the way. I did that once when I was driving from Chicago to St. Louis. I listened to probably four episodes straight. Yeah. Maybe it was there and back. I, I got quite a few, quite a few episodes in. It was a good time, as everyone should do. Yeah, highly recommended. Download the, the Rockstar Violin Podcast. Put it on shuffle. You never know what you'll have. You might get to listen to Kyla Vera four times in a row. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that would be like the most Kyla thing ever, too. Yeah, yeah, that would work. That would work. So uh, talk a little bit about the, I guess we'll go straight to gear. 
would uh, talk about the gear and, mm. and like sort of the the constraints of, of being on a mega bus tour. Right. So the challenge with this is it's a minimalist endeavor. The the luggage restrictions for the mega bus are very similar to most airline travel. The checked bag underneath has to be under fifty pounds. And I've been given some some of the sort of leery side eye from any of the drivers. You know, I, my bag is forty nine pounds, <laughs> and one time I put my coat in there too, and it was absolutely over the limit. So the guy actually said to me, "Hey, stop that! This is this is definitely too much." And I had to take the, the coat out of the suitcase in order for it to be under uh, the fifty pound limit. Now. Was it really that much of a difference? Probably not. But was that guy really happy to power trip and insist that I take my coat out of the suitcase so it was uh, under 50? Absolutely. Always. That said, in order to be able to travel with all the things I need, clothes, um, uh, merch, and you know my instrument and accessories and stuff, I, I sort of blur the line. Technically, you're only supposed to bring one carry-on on the bus. Airlines give you a carry-on and a personal item. I sort of, I'm carrying a violin. It's a small case. Sure. That and a little messenger bag holding my laptop and my merch and that all the sort of other essentials, coffee, water yeah. bottle. Really, I mean, the essentials, you sure. have to have those. Um, mints and gum, you know, uh, chargers, chargers, chargers. You can never have too many chargers Truth. on the road. I've already lost one of my Apple iOS lightning charger uh, things, and so I'm going to have to... I buy them in bulk at this point. I just yeah. <laughs> I've given up. <laughs> so by the time I get home, I'll be okay. But for now, I'm switching between charging my phone and my iPad. So. Uh, um, only, only a couple more days of the tour, and I'll right. be sorted out. So I previously, I'd been sort of stretching it even further and carrying a tiny little suitcase of clothes and sort of hoping no one would notice... And that meant that I could bring my main one-man band rig. This is a pedal board that has a small mixing board on it, so I can have inputs of all the instruments I intend to loop. Usually that's a violin, my voice, um, some sort of keyboard sort of synthesizer setup. I have right now an iPad running through a Moog Siren. This is an analog synthesizer. It has an audio in. So I plug my iPad which has drum samples, keyboard sounds, other soft synth patches, run that into the Moog. And I can even use the analog filter of that to sort of saturate and sweeten the, uh, the, the iPad sounds. That's one sort of mega little instrument there, iPad slash synth thing. That's an input. And sometimes I'll loop a guitar. Other times I've looped other stringed instruments. I play mandolin. I play upright bass. Those are impractical to bring with, so it's mostly just violin, voice, and keyboard synth thing. This tour, I thought, maybe I can strip it down a little further. Instead of an eight-channel mixer, I brought just a three-channel thing, a little tiny box by Eventide called the Mixing Link. have to kind of fudge it a little bit. It only has two inputs, and then it has an FX send return, so I'm okay. just returning yeah. instrument three and not sending anything sure. and blending that in. It works well enough. Not its intended use, but it's small, and that's the main thing. Then, from there, I go into all my effects, and usually I have some basic set of effects. Um, on my main board, I've got every toy imaginable. I prefer analog circuitry. That's always been my go-to. 
So analog overdrive, analog boosts, everything analog. Just It feels to me sort of like, I know you're big on the IRs and the world of Helix and digital stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm an old-fashioned fuddy-duddy, and I'm, I'm coming around. What you showed me recently, I, I may have to see the light a little bit, and I've started to play with that more. But in terms of gain staging, it's really hard to find a digital version that that really sounds as good. So I know these you know fancy overdrive pedals that I've <coughs> spent too much money on <laughs> are worth bringing along. Um, I have usually a boost of some kind, maybe two different boosts. And the one thing that for a violinist doing looping, I need something that does a pitch shifting. Right. So on my main board, I have not one, not two, but three different flavors of, of octave down. I've got the Boss OC3, mm -hmm. which is a classic monophonic octaver device. It has a polyphony mode, but that's just one octave down. I prefer to put it in the traditional OC2 style setting where you go one octave down and two octaves down. And that, usually through a PA system with a little blend from the dry signal, makes it sound kind of like a, an upright bass with a pickup on it. Yeah. And, and I've, I've used that for years, and there's something to that sub-octave that's just a little synthy square wave thing, but not too obtrusive. It, it just always works. I love it. But then I want more flavors. I found this little company in Sweden called Parasit Studios. PA, it's like Parasite, but missing the E. Mm -hmm. uh, somebody posted a, a, a demo of one of his pedals, the U235 sub-octave generator. And I heard 10 seconds of this clip and immediately ordered that pedal. Wow. It is. It sounds like a huge, like evil synth bass. It's just. It, it's a PLL chip, and so it doesn't pitch shift. It creates a new note. Okay. Based on whatever the, the the control voltage or whatever is coming in. I don't actually understand how it works, but it creates a new signal, and it's this huge, just massive. So it's like a PA destroyer. Like it's it's a dead. It literally has a nuclear warhead sign on the pedal because it's awesome. you have to use this with caution. And there's a three-way toggle switch. You can either go one octave down, two octaves down, or in the middle it's an octave and a half. So oh, if you weird. play if you play your G string, a low C comes out. Okay, octave and a half. Like a cello yeah. C. So that I, that setting is a little confusing because you know with the dry signal all yeah. the way out, it's it's a little stark. It's surprising. Um, so those are my. Two main octavers. Then I also have this synth pedal by Maris, and I love this thing. It's the Enzo. It's this little golden magical synth box. Um, this one takes the dry signal and it can pitch shift it. It has a compressor built in. It has a digital delay. It has a filter sweep like a, a synthesizer does. Basically all of the stuff that you'd have on a synthesizer keyboard. Um, and it puts that all on a pedal. It can do a synth tone. It can create a square wave or a sawtooth wave. It has an arpeggiator, which is insane. Yeah, it's banging. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a really impressive piece of gear. Um, but if you put it in quote-unquote dry mode, it just affects your dry signal with the control section of a synthesizer. So basically when I got that pedal, I've always, you can kind of tell I'm into synths, right? It's like I want to have the controls of the keyboard player that has all these knobs to tweak. And mm -hmm. that's always been my MO. I, I, something about the tactile tweaking of it is really fun for me. So those are my three octavers. 
<laughs> my giant board that's too big to carry on the Megabus and haul around on public transportation. This tour, I just have one. It's the Walrus Audio Luminary. Basically, it's the same kind of controls as a POG by Electroharmonic. So it has one and two octaves up, one and two octaves down in various amounts, and you can blend them to taste. This is rotary knobs instead of sliders, so it's a little smaller footprint than sure. the POG. And um, it has three presets you can save, and then whatever's on the, on the dial is a sort of preset number four, kind of live mode. So I have saved a cello-ish sound, a bass-ish sound, an organ sound, because it has sort of a chorus modulation thing you can do to the affected signal, and then um, I have one that sort of, it's got a little octave down and a little octave up, so if I hit it with, you know, some drive, it kind of sounds sort of like an octave fuzz pedal might, with a little bit of that cutting upper register. Not exactly, but it's a cool sound, and that's all the presets, so good to go. And then I have a Zvex box of rock, which is just a, sort of a Marshall amp in a box. Um, there's a boost section, there's a drive section, and then that's going into uh, a much smaller looper than I usually use, the Electroharmonics Grand Canyon. And this is sort of a test run to see if I can use a simple looper for all my songs. So far, mixed results. Um, it only has the very basic things a looper can do. You press play, or you, you press the button, it starts recording. You press it again, it's now playing back that loop. You press again, it's overdubbing. Press again, you know. You can press and hold to undo, double tap it to stop. But it also has a delay engine in there, and it's got uh, like a tape delay sound that actually is really good. It's got a, a DMM, which is supposed to be Deluxe Memory Man, sort of an analog delay, Bucket Brigade style thing. It's got uh, a reverse delay, which is pretty cool. It's got a shimmer, which, eh, it's all right. I'm not, I'm not always using shimmer in my stuff. Right. Those are useful, I think, if you can run them into other reverbs and delays, but on this board, there's no room. That's it. Right. <laughs> oh, and there's one other pedal. I had on there a compressor that has a little boost. I traded that in for another compressor that has boost and EQ. Mm. The new Jackson Audio Bloom. Um, it's very small. It's got two foot switches. Tap one side, you get the compressor. And I think there's six different presets of how squashy you want it to be. I found the one I like. It has a boost section, which they call Bloom, because if you press and hold, it fades up the volume slowly. Oh, cool. Which I haven't quite gotten to be that useful. Honestly, I have it on all the time, mostly, just because I like that. Um, and then there's an EQ section. You press both foot switches simultaneously, and it turns on and off the EQ, which is such a clever way to fit three things into two switches. Yeah. Left does one, right does one, both does a third thing. The EQ is just low, mid, high. Okay. But if I cut all the lows and a little tiny bit of the mids and give myself a little bit of highs, that seems to take my pickup, which I have on my acoustic violin. It's a Schertler uh, Stat V I've had since like... I don't know, 2007 or something. Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, this is the same acoustic violin I've had since middle school, and I haven't touched it. Same warm, not-so-bad sound. It sculpts it in a way that I'm pretty happy with. And um, between those things, the the bloom, the luminary, the, uh, uh, the box of rock, and the Grand Canyon, that's my whole pedal board. 
Then I brought with me a Moog synth, <laughs> an iPad. Okay, those need a key step, an Arturia key step to control both of them by MIDI. That's all running in there. I have two microphones set up on stage, one that's just provided by the venue, one that I bring that I run into the mixing link into my pedal board, and then out from there straight into the PA. Ideally, it'd be nice to have that into an amp. I think it would be a little bit creamier, a little bit more compressed, a little bit more... When you hit it with gain, tube amps tend to compress and saturate and distort in a more pleasing way. Um, I may start have to looking at things like the amp simulators. Mm -hmm. Actually, that is the other end of my chain. I did bring this along too. Uh, GFI System, a company out of uh, Jakarta. Uh, I met those guys at the NAMM show uh, last January and bought their Cab Zeus. It is a cabinet simulator. It's not a preamp and power amp section simulator. So a tube amp has those parts, right? Mm -hmm. It's got the preamp section, it's got the power amp section, and then it's got the cabinet. So this just simulates the cabinet. Okay. The box of rock is the Marshall sort of sure. amp in a box rest of it. So I leave the boost on that on all the time. I turn on the drive part if I want it to be the dirty channel. But believe it or not, that seems to behave like an amp would. And I've run guitars into this to try and experiment and see if it reacts the same way. And it does, you know? So... I'm relatively happy with this setup, but I will almost assuredly be changing everything by the time I get home. <laughs> I just can't help it. I'm, I have, like, too many pedals. So that's where I'm at. Over the next few breaks, we are going to listen to some of the tunes off of Rob's latest project, Distractable Boy. This one's called Procrastinator's Blues. My bills are all late. My taxes yet Might as well wait Sit back and relax a bit Life is short I'm just trying to make the most of it I've got down Procrastinator's blues Why do today What could be done tomorrow no rush to pay And so there's no need to borrow I think I'll stay Way down here in the hollow I've got them Procrastinators Procrastinators blues. 
might read a book. So I got a chance to see your show last night, and honestly, you, you put on a fantastic show. Thank you very much. Um, one of my favorite parts was when you know we, we had some other musicians in the house last night, some pretty talented musicians in the house, mm-hmm. and um, some friends of ours from here in town. Uh, you guys will probably hear me talk a, a little bit about Patty Hopkins. She's part of a band called uh, Hank, Patty, and the Current. And uh, Hank was there last night. That's Patty right. blew us off to go to the beach. I get it. You know, it, listen, <laughs> I live in Boston. We don't have beaches and summer things like this. We have the ocean, but it's it's just not the same. I get it. Patty, I missed you. Yeah, I hope you that's had messed a, up, Patty. I hope you had a good time <laughs> on your boat. I'm not jealous. No, it's fine. So we had a bunch of musicians <laughs> in the house, and, and Rob goes... All right, so I need five notes. You guys can give me solfege. You can hum it. You can give me a note name, whatever you want. And we got five notes last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, some pretty strange choices when, when you get them all together. Yeah. And he said, I'm, I'm going to write a song here on the spot using those notes. <laughs> and uh, it turned out way better than, than anybody had any right to expect that it could have. <laughs> so talk about like how you came up with that idea, and then what is your process? As you're standing there and people are giving you like F-sharp, A-sharp, yeah. Yeah, uh, C. Yep. yep. Um, well, I'll say this. I've been doing this particular gimmick for lack of a better word but it really is an exercise or sure. a study and improvisational prowess I guess um, it just it's it, it makes something special that only happens once that's the whole thing I like about improvisation in general is when you're improvising anything that happens is fair game to use doesn't have to be a polished product just has to be real and sometimes I have found that if I'm playing you know in in an orchestra or I've got a pre-written solo in a band or something, I, I, I can really enjoy it and I get a lot out of it. But there's something electrifying about the fear of you really could screw it up. There's no safety net. Yeah, this thing could totally go up in flames. And that I find that exhilarating. So um, I've practiced and I've had every possible way of it going up in flames. <laughs> And I'm still alive. You know, right. I'm fireproof at this point. Um, there's, there's nothing that... The worst that could happen is I write a terrible song and then I move on. Right. So at this point, I'm pretty fearless about it. Um, but what I'm looking for, first when I get five notes, you'd be amazed how hard it is to find five notes that don't imply a key center. Mm-hmm. You know? That's true. Um, it, they're gonna, especially if you're playing the violin. Because you can play them melodically. If you play five any random notes on a piano and play them as a cluster chord, it might sound a little clunky. But if you arrange them linearly, you can find, well, this one's probably a leading tone to that. I think, what were the notes that I got last night? They were, um, I had F sharp, C and C sharp, E flat, and... A, maybe? Yeah, some weird combination. So, or no, G. G. It was G was the other one. Yeah, so F sharp and G, C and C sharp, and E flat. I think I ended up doing something that was kind of like G with a diminished thing to F with F sharp with a diminished thing. So I sort of found two diminished chords to bounce back and forth between, and they both almost kind of fit. And then from there... I can branch out and start to add other notes once I've got a key center. Basically, this is a rule. This is a game I invented, right? I'm not beholden to only use those five notes. Sure. It is a starting place, and it's an, it's a constraint. Creativity fa- flourishes under constraints. Of course. If you have limitations, 
you're going to come up with cool solutions to those limitations. That's, that's kind of the essence of everything I've done musically so far, is what are the constraints, how do I solve this puzzle, how do I get out of this? Sure. <laughs> um, from there, once I have the key center, I'm trying to find some melodic riff that I can loop, because I'm doing this with a looper pedal. So if I've got... That's not exactly what was given last night, but you get the idea. That's enough to then start building something around it. Um, a lot of the music that I grew up listening to is hip-hop music and sample culture, where you take a small nugget of melody and loop it, and then add percussion to it and make a beat to it. I think I used to be in freestyle rap battles as early as middle school on the back of the bus, you know, or in the, the cafeteria. I was the kid with the, the pens tapping on the, the lunch table and making the beats for others and, and trying to come up with rhymes. I am not a rapper at this point, but if you're writing lyrics to a song, the rhyming thing is useful. Sure. Um, so it ends up being sometimes a sort of hip-hop beat, just because I have a lot of drum samples on the iPad ready to go. Um, other times it's been a waltz. I've had some 5-4 uh, things happen sometimes. It's really, I find a cool melodic idea and loop it. A lot of my writing ends up being these cyclical structures, and I don't know if it's chicken or egg thing. I have a looper, so I end up writing loops. Right. Or did I buy a looper because I like writing loops? I don't know. But then from there, most songs have a similar structure. You've got a melodic hook and introduction. That's what I start with. I hit stop on the looper once I've got enough built up, and then I start singing words. Yeah. And this is the part where it just goes off the rails usually. And <laughs> ideally, I'm making up a verse about something that's happening in the room. Maybe it's about how I'm feeling. Maybe it's about, I think somebody last night gave me the challenge of a siren. Yeah. Which happens to be the exact name of the Moog synthesizer I have with me. S-I-R-I-N, though. But that was enough. So I actually turned up some of the knobs on that to make it do a really slow glide and sound like a siren. And I, you know, I'm still learning to use that thing. That's part of the reason for this tour is just works in progress. Figure out how to learn to use this synthesizer and work it into my stuff. So this is the perfect chance. I'm experimenting on the fly. Turn it up. And uh, I get a siren sound, and then I start making up lyrics about something's wrong here. There's an alarm. There's police are coming. Something's happening. Why is, you know, and that's enough conflict and tension to start to be the narrative for a song. Well, okay, can I come up with some kind of chorus for that? Uh, maybe. You know, hopefully by the time I get to about where a chorus would be, I can come up with some little simple hook. Um, one of my dear friends who's in uh, Los Angeles, a violinist named Ada Pasternik, um, I love, I follow her on Instagram, and for a while she was just posting these little mini hooks. She'd have like a little uh, turn of phrase, and then she'd just riff it over and over again. She had one, I'm, it's, everything is perfectly imperfect, everything is perfectly imperfect. Everything is perfectly imperfect. You'd be amazed if you take a phrase and say it eight times. Yeah, that's the most pop thing how ever, How quick right? it becomes a hook. Yeah. So it turns out there is a formula to writing pop Oh, songs. absolutely. And I'm loosely following that while flying by the seat of my pants. Sure. Right? And if I can then stop the looper so that can come up and I can sing the chorus, great. Turn it back on. Time for a solo. That's a little melodic interlude before verse two. 
Verse 2 is usually less well-constructed than verse 1. Because <laughs> we'll all the low-hanging fruit is gone. It's gone. <laughs> I now have to write about something. This is the same problem with actually writing a song, right? Right. Yeah, Easy yeah, to sure. write the chorus. Yep. Not too hard to get a verse By going. By the time you get to the third verse, it's oh, almost impossible. Bridge? Yeah. Oh, man. So, I'm out of stuff to say. It's, it's all the struggles of a songwriter condensed into real-time struggles before with, your eyes. With 50 pairs of eyes staring at you. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I live my life the same way no matter who's watching, pretty much. Um, and hopefully people uh, enjoy the journey with me. Um, I, you know, I, we'll see. <laughs> so how often do you record these concerts? Almost never. Yeah. I, I, I try to just let it go. <laughs> yeah. It's a practice. Right. It's in the same way that a jazz improviser. Well, how often do you record your solos when you play a gig? Well, why would I? What, was that one special? I don't know. I might have said something good. Yeah. Well, you know, I remember this songwriting advice. If you can't remember it tomorrow, it probably wasn't that good of an idea. True. <laughs> so that one that I did last night, I remember the hook a little bit. Something about ring the alarm, ring the alarm. And I had a distorted vocals because I was running that looper mic through the, the box of rock and it had some overdrive on it and I loved that sound. I'd never done that before actually. Okay. I'd never run the vocals into that overdrive pedal. I've experimented with yeah, that Yeah, it was almost reminiscent of like a, like a radio call. Yeah. Yep. And that, that worked out perfectly sure. for that hook. So, will that song ever exist again? No. Will I use that idea in production of some other song down the road? Probably, yeah. Yeah, I was just about yeah. to ask you, like, how many of your original songs either started under that circumstance or were maybe inspired by that circumstance? Hopefully more and more. That's the goal. Um, it's, it feels like two different brains to write words and to do the production side Oh, for sure. So um, I just have a large catalog of both. I keep my little voice memos on my phone, and I'm just hoping to find some of them that, that fit together well. Right. Right, a melodic idea, a harmonic structure, some sort of instrumental idea that will then support some song idea. And often I'll have a lyric that I've set on for six months and then suddenly going through my list of bits and pieces in a writing session go, oh, hey, these fit together. And then maybe I can develop them further. But um, I'll let you know the answer to that when my second record is done. There you go. It's going to be a while. <laughs> I'm distractible. <laughs> As I lie on my back at the top of a Boston 
In contemporary improvisation? Okay. Yeah. Well, where where did you stumble along this path to improv? Did you start classically trained, or, or how did that trip go? I did. So it's a winding journey, like it is for many. I started out in third grade, public school orchestra. And uh, we had an assembly where they did a show and tell of all the band instruments, all the orchestra instruments. And uh, they said, you know, you can't be in the band until fourth grade, but you could play a string in third grade. Well, that rules out saxophone and clarinet. Sure. I'll, maybe maybe next year. Um, I liked the sound of the viola. I thought that's how nice and mellow and somewhere in the middle. Maybe I'm a violist at heart. But my mother said, hey, I have a violin in the basement from when I was in middle school. Why don't you start on that? It's almost the same, and then you could switch if you want to. Well, it's been 23 years, and I'm still playing violin. But I did also learn viola, and someday I will get to clarinet and saxophone. But not, not yet. That'll, that'll be in my probably 50s or 60s. We'll, we'll see. Um, if you ever get tired of the squeaking of the E string on the violin, you just pick up a clarinet. There's plenty of squeaks. Some more, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. I'm, I'm ready. Um, yeah, so I played in the school orchestra. I started taking lessons from the local concertmaster, Evanston Symphony Orchestra, Julian Aaron. Bless that man. He was ever patient. I was the least motivated student. Um, I have very good ears, and so I could always kind of, you know, let's say it was a, an old dry etude. It was a Wolfhard etude or something. Now, these are ones that are kind of technically challenging on purpose, right? I mean, they're harmonically and melodically interesting, but there's a reason for them, you right. know? And that was his approach, was I'm always going to learn through music. Well, I'd show up underprepared, and I'd be sight-reading in the lesson, and then once I understood what it was supposed to sound like, I could play it. And he'd kind of go, you know, you were supposed to do that at home? Yeah. You really were? And, and it, I sort of missed out on the real reason for doing it. But it did train my ears to be faster, and I got good at sight-reading. He was so patient... There were so many threats of, Robert, if you don't practice, we're not going to pay for lessons anymore. Okay, okay, okay. I always felt embarrassed to practice in front of my parents. I don't know why. I just didn't want to play in front of them. So were they musical? You said your no. mom played like young, right? Well, she had a school orchestra that then they lost funding for it or the teacher moved away. She was living in Minnesota, rural Minnesota, and didn't have access. Okay. So it was sort of this abridged dream. It sort of got cut short. And um, uh, so she was happy to have me continue and still had the instrument, but wasn't really a musician per se. My father is not a, a musician per se. I mean, they both love music, they both listen to music, but neither of them really play anything. Um, but, you know, for some reason, I stuck with it. Uh, I, I really like music. I enjoy, you know, singing, and I was making up little jingles in fifth grade with my buddy Greg Rossick. We made up a song called Making Jamaican Bacon. Still remember it. It's very short. It just goes, making Jamaican bacon, making Jamaican bacon, making. D-. That's the whole thing. That's awesome. So I think I have a future in the jingle business. Yeah, for what sure. I'm, well, there's I'm, a lot of money there. If you know people, please send them my way. I'm ready for the catchiest things. Or you could write a Beyonce song. Oh, well, she writes full songs. Right. No, I'd write a Beyonce jingle. There you go. <laughs> I'm ready. Call me. I'm, I'm ready. Um, yeah. So you've been you've been writing and improvising like basically from the start. Basically, if you think back, and it's, so maybe that's just you know, this is a means for the distractible. If you don't have the vision and the drive, I'm going to be a concerto soloist. 
I never had that vision. Right. That wasn't a goal of mine. It was, how can I have fun doing this and make it my own? Okay, so cut to middle school. We've got a new orchestra director, um, and he is offering uh, alternative styles lessons, which is a big hip buzzword back in the time. Asta has now changed that to be something a little less pejorative. Um, <laughs> but uh, basically was offering jazz and blues lessons, and he had these books. They were called... Um, uh, Jazz Philharmonic. I believe it was Randy Sabine and Bob Phillips wrote these books. And um, I since have bumped into Randy a few times, actually. He had me come up to McNally Smith and do a workshop with his students. And um, I just recorded on a record where he's also on that record. So it's it's kind of cool now that I've I've elevated to peer from the guy who wrote the book that yeah, got that me crazy. started. It's, it's a wonderful world. Um, so uh, Mr. Janesey, uh, Jim Janesey, the middle school orchestra director, he gave these after-school lessons, and uh, I was one of the few that was really taking to it. I was a fish in water. This is great. Um, I, I can make up whatever I want. I can follow my ear and play ideas that sound cool. I inherited a bunch of records from my Uncle Jerry. Well, I don't think they were inherited. He, he was like, at some point I want these back, but he's, he hasn't asked for them yet. <laughs> I, I've still, Jerry, I still have your records, and I'm taking good care of them. Thank you very much. One of them was Nat King Cole's After Midnight, mm. and that is such a killer record. He is such an amazing vocalist. All the piano playing on it is Nat King Cole. Great pianist. He had all these guests. He had uh, the trombone player Juan Tissol, who wrote Caravan. He's on there playing Caravan, and you know he had the... Uh, saxophonist and a trumpet player and then what's that is that a violin it was stuff smith oh he's on that record and this was the first time i had heard somebody swing really hard on the violin at this point because i was doing jazz i had learned about stefan grappelli mm -hmm. i had started to seek out other improvisers i might have known about joe venuti i'm in chicago so johnny frigo was on the scene i even saw him do a concert at a church like two blocks from my house, which was great. Um, but when I heard Stuff Smith, it was like, aha, this is what it means. This is jazz violin. This is somebody really swinging. And uh, yeah, I mean, that that was it. I, this I have to do this. That makes total sense that that's one of your early influences because oh. I can I totally hear that in your playing. I can't get away from it. I just he swings so hard. Everything he plays makes me want to dance. Ultimately, that is the core of it, is the best jazz violinist, in my opinion. Violin is a sound that is beautiful and elegant and lovely, but jazz and swing is a music that really is a dance music first and foremost. So there's always been a little bit of clash and opposition here, even in players like Ray Nance. Ray Nance was with the Ellington Band, and when he wanted to sound sweet and lovely, he played violin, and when he wanted to swing harder, he played a, a trumpet. Mm -hmm. Stuff was the first person I heard who had both. You know, he really swung on a violin. So I started digging into him. Also Sven Asmussen, I really like his playing. I did some transcriptions of Joe Venuti. And um, just all through high school, my high school was a huge high school. There were nine jazz combos and three big bands. And oh my goodness. So there was enough room for a weird violin player to kind of fit in the one of the combos and, you know, be in the remedial horn section. <laughs> You know, I didn't have jazz lessons per se. I didn't understand the harmony or the theory of what was going on. I was just following my ear and playing melody notes that seemed to fit the chords. Mm -hmm. If I, I mean, I gradually learned a little bit of chord theory and 
I knew it's a G minor chord here, and then a C7 chord, and then an F major. Okay, that's a 2-5-1 in F. So if I play in the F scale, it's probably going to work over those. Mm -hmm. Maybe. I can't remember at what point I made that connection, but I, I believe in high school I sort of was getting the hang of, okay, if I play in this scale for a while, it'll work. Oh, there's a clinker note. What do I do? Uh, move a half step. Okay. Phew. You know, it, it was still fumbling around looking for the, the keys in a dark room. I didn't really know what I was doing, but... I think it helps, though, to, to have to hear it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's great to know the math behind everything, but I think you have to be able to hear it, too. Yeah, that struggle is essential. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, I, somebody said, I don't remember who, um, in order to find all the right notes first, you have to find all the wrong ones. So... I, I really live by that. That's my whole... <laughs> Maybe that's this tour. I'm in the finding the wrong notes section of my career right now. <laughs> Definitely. Try to find them all. I'm, I'm there with you. So, um, yeah, so that was a big part of high school, was trying to get good at playing jazz. And I played in the big band, and I played in a combo, and I, you know, I was really into it. I remember learning La Fiesta by uh, Chick Corea. And that one's really easy to play over, because it's pretty much all in... E Phrygian. It's all in E Phrygian. And that one, I've got one scale, I can just play melodies that I hear. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to connect melodies that I hear to my fingers. Still haven't gotten there all the way yet, but, you know, things like that are pretty straightforward. High school, my high school orchestra director's brother-in-law was a bass player who played in a band with a violinist who was the Department chair at Denison University. You got all that? Yeah. My high school orchestra director's brother-in-law's bandmate, Georgia State fiddle champ, Andy Carlson. He came and visited my school and did a workshop with our orchestra where we played his orchestral arrangements of bluegrass numbers. So we're talking, uh, you know, Red-Haired Boy and Fork a Deer, I think, maybe. Just a couple of traditional tunes, melodies arranged, and he's got an orchestral arrangement for this thing and he took these ripping bluegrass solos and I was like this is this is pretty cool I don't really understand this music I live in Chicago right bluegrass is not a part of my culture I'm listening to Kanye West and Lupe right. Fiasco and like you know at, at that time it was like Alien Ant Farm and Blink-182 oh, yeah. and all that stuff too so that's my people right so this was weird but cool yeah. you know and uh, it was also around that time that I was starting to discover Mark O'Connor, who is a perfect nexus of all these things. Sure. He's a bluegrass and contest fiddle player who toured with Stefan Grappelli and played with Jean-Luc Ponty and all these other jazz influences. And I, I had his um, Hot Swing Trio album, this In Full Swing. It has uh, Wynton Marcellus and Jane Monheit on a couple tracks. And I remember eating that up and thinking, well, if Mark is this good of a jazz player, and he also does bluegrass, maybe it's not so bad. Right. You know? I'm, I'm not too good for this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is maybe sad, but still... It, it, it's that first thought that goes through your mind yeah. is, is a kid who, who plays what we perceive, you know, the Mozart concertos and those types of things. As you look at bluegrass, you're like, well, they never leave first position. Uh, yeah. You know, and so many open notes. Mm. My gosh, these guys can't be that good, you know? Or it's country music. Kinda. And that's right. what my mom listens to, so I don't know if I like it. Right, yeah, after, it's, it's not quite right. <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, and there's another thing. The music my parents listened to, my mom listened to the Grand Ole Opry growing up, even though she was in Minnesota. They got it up there. Okay. So, 
we always grew up in the house with, you know, we had Patsy Cline and Johnny Cash and Merle Haggard and that kind of stuff. My dad was a child of the 60s and had classic rock records. So I listened to Pink Floyd and Frank Zappa and Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix. So my two parents' yeah. styles didn't really overlap, but they definitely have all congealed great into stuff, yeah. what I do. And it's all good. That's the big takeaway is that it's different value systems for each of the musics of what is important to me. But within that value system, these are all masters of their craft. Mark treads all those waters. Mark O'Connor kind of could do it all and was with everybody. Oh, I never can predict the angle of the rain If I lean my umbrella The direction seems to change Try to keep myself protected But I always try in vain Oh, I never can predict The angle of the rain The angle of the rain I never can predict what time the train will come Seems I always miss by seconds End up sucking on my thumb Standing on that open platform in the winter makes me numb Oh, I never can predict what time the train will come what time the train will come So summer of high school I ended up applying to Denison, where Andy Carlson was teaching. I'm, I'm in. I'm, I choose to attend Denison, so I'm going to go study bluegrass with Andy. That summer, I go to the Mark O'Connor String Camp, and this is in Nashville, or just outside of Nashville, Tennessee, Montgomery Bell State Park. There's a very funny anecdote. If you ever run into Lauren Ryu, uh, she'll tell you about how I ended up getting stranded there, and she had to drive back and pick me up, but uh, that's another story for another time. The, the camp itself was amazing, and I, I mean, I didn't even get that much time with Mark. I think I saw one workshop he taught, but I got to meet folks like Tracy Silverman, who blew my mind and taught me so oh, much yeah. about rhythm. His strum bowing stuff, oh, unbelievable! which now I have to get a copy of his book, by the way. I don't have yeah. it yet. It's it just night and day, totally changed the way I play, opened everything up. Strum bowing with Tracy Silverman. Harmony and the canon chord stacks that Christian Howes was teaching. Mm -hmm. He was there. Then I, Buddy Spiker, the Nashville session legend, taught me how to play Donna Lee. I learned mm -hmm. how to play that bebop head from this dreamy 70-year-old with the slick hat and the sunglasses and the perfect trimmed beard and like the, you know, he's wearing like a three-piece suit in 90-degree weather. I mean, he's That's the awesome. coolest cat possible. And, uh, um, he was in, Rachel Barton Pine was there teaching, and I got to learn about Baroque improvisation and also heavy metal. Um, who else was teaching there? Mark Wood was teaching there. I remember... That's like a who's who of players. Oh my gosh. And um, uh, Victor Lin 
was there. And so Victor was, who I haven't seen in a while, but uh, Victor organized a flash mob for when uh, Mark Wood gave his performance. They had faculty concerts every night, and on Mark Wood's concert, he had the whole show. He had the lights somehow. Oh, yeah. Out in a state park, he had lighting. I don't understand how. Because Mark Wood's a rock star. Brilliant. Yeah. And all of a sudden, 20 campers covered in, like, caution of yellow tape, we come out and start moshing at Mark Wood's concert. It was the best fun. So all of this happens summer after high school. And this is a, a proper stew of different musical styles. And oh I'm goodness, still yeah. kind of like, who am I? What am I doing? All of undergrad, I'm learning jazz, and I'm studying jazz from the saxophone teacher there, Pete Mills, and the jazz guitar instructor, Tom Carroll. And I started taking upright bass lessons. I bought a bass from Doug Richardson. And then I started taking bluegrass lessons, and it was Andy Carlson and Casey Cook and, uh, and uh, Richard Hood. And, uh, I mean, I basically spent more time in the music department than I did anywhere else. I ended up with a math degree and a music degree. I still was a mathematician. I've always loved math and numbers and patterns and things. Um, but by the time I was in senior year, it was very clear, technically I'm getting a math degree. Really, I'm going into music. Um, the third summer in a row of attending Mark O'Connor's string camp, they had a flyer about the ASTA conference, and there was a contest. It was the Alternative Styles Awards. Submit a video of yourself playing some music, and there are a bunch of different categories, and one of them was improvisation. I said, well, I'm a jazz violinist. Let me submit some jazz violin styles. And I submitted, I think, three videos, and uh, one of them was Daryl Anger and Barbara Higby's Tideline. And one of them was an original jazz tune, which was a really hard head for the faculty who I hired to play on it. I had no problem with it. It was in nine. It was three bars of three. So it was these three-bar, three-measure forms. Did I mention I have a math degree? Yeah, yeah. And they're, like, used to swinging in 4-4. Four, four, and I'm like, right. okay, guys, it's, it's a circular, it's a triangular structure. should be really cool. And then there's a diminished bridge thing. They were not ready, but it was good enough, and I ended up um, winning this award. So junior year of college, I am going to Atlanta for their national conference. They give me a $1,000 check, and... Uh, it was I like to, a million bucks to a college. Yeah, oh yeah. my God. And I get to perform on stage, and I meet all these people. Randy Sabina's there, my childhood like introduction to jazz. I get to do a clinic with him. Tanya Kalmanovich happens to be in the audience there. At some point, I have now kind of run Randy all around in circles with all the stuff that he's throwing at me, and so she starts throwing at me even more crazy stuff. Tanya ended up being my teacher at New England Conservatory. Okay. And I only applied to that grad school program because now it's clear. I've, I've made $1,000 playing music. This is my path. You know, I've, I've been recognized for this. Okay. Music, definitely the way to go. I apply to four jazz schools in New York and then New England Conservatory in Boston. Well, I end up going to Boston. I thought jazz is definitely the path for me, um, but I ended up doing this thing called CI, Contemporary Improvisation. And that was a program that I still think is the right fit for me, but I have no idea how to describe properly. In the same way that all of these different styles, all of these different sounds, all of these different 
influences that I've absorbed are a part of my consciousness and my psyche and my sound and things that I value, they threw at me the kitchen sink. They said, well, here's some straight-ahead jazz. Here's some really weird jazz. Here's some free jazz. Here's some modal jazz. Here's some Indian music. Here's some uh, Middle Eastern music. Here's some uh, Far Eastern music. you got some gamelan. Here's some uh, Indian raga. Here's the Balkan brass band music. Here's some uh, John Zorn's downtown weird avant-garde stuff. Here's Brazilian choro. And, you know, write a piece but use only the rhythms from a James Brown song. Like... Uh, it was cold-blooded. They can't be hip, but I don't care what they think. And the thing I got is cold-blooded. And it's coming from a brand new place. And, and everybody in the class had to write a song using those rhythms. I remember my buddy did this sort of like Shoro kind of boppy thing. Oh, that's awesome. And then he turned that into a thing that kind of reflected his personality. That's the whole point of that program is absorb all these things, decide what you like, throw out the bits you don't, and right. then you're left with your true self. And, and that's the whole goal of artistry, really, I think, is to find out who you really are, right? There's craft, which is the ability to imitate and emulate and make something that is really enjoyable and reputable and good. So if I have the craft under my belt at this point, I can sound Grappelli-ish. Mm-hmm. I can play a bluegrass gig. I could uh, play for a yoga class and pretend to be playing raga. Let's be real, I'm, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't play a classical raga concert. I'm nowhere there. Um, but I at least understand. Good enough to fake it. Yeah, good enough to fake it, right? Some people go, that's my calling. I'm going to be this sound. I'm going to be a Grappelli guy. I think of someone like um, Tim Klefus. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Of someone I've never met, but he's always advertised as sort of the leading Grappelli expert, you know, and he sounds just like Grappelli, and he's got all the Grappelli sounds. It's like, cool. That's not me. Right. You know, I couldn't find myself imitating just one of these people because, well, then what about the other stuff I love? How do I combine all that? So it's it's been a weird journey, <laughs> and at the moment I am, you know, rambling around on $1 buses with increasingly minimal gear trying to figure out who I am. Um, But it's the synthesis of all these things, and I think that there's no shortcut to throwing the kitchen sink at it and hoping that at some point it'll all stick together and the real me will emerge. Yeah. You know? And I've, I've made one record now that I think is a good reflection of who I was when I made it. And ultimately, the next one I make will be a reflection of more influences that I'm into. I've yeah, and you want to see them evolve, right? I mean, right. You don't want your second record to be like part two. No. Of the first one. I, no. I sort of feel like I said that already. Right. Getting back to creative constraints, right? Creative constraints on the first record were, I'm gonna, it's going to be all me. I'm going to play all the instruments. I'm going to write all the music. I'm going to record it all myself. And it's just going to be a totally self-done project. Now, it didn't quite work out that way. A couple songs have a guest person on it here and there. Some have some harmony vocals from friends. Two of the songs have a jazz rhythm section that was at New England Conservatory with me, and they were amazing. So got to put that on the record. It's just better than I'm going to do. Sure. You know? But many of the songs, I'm playing all the instruments, violin, viola, upright bass, acoustic guitar, electric guitar, um, a bunch of hand percussion, drum kit, uh, keys, and all the vocals, and 
I recorded it all at home. I bought all the studio gear. I learned to use it. I've got some really nice preamps, nice mics, and um, acoustic treatment in my home space. And honestly, I think it's it's safe to say this is an essential thing to have as a musician these days. You need to have a home setup. Absolutely. You know, um, and I've used it now for other freelancing stuff where somebody has a singer songwriter song and they want to have some string parts on right. it. You I send them some stems from the house. Yeah, I can just do it remotely. I can record them in a day and send them raw parts for their mixing engineer to do. And ultimately that's something I did not do on my record. I didn't mix it. I didn't master it. I let somebody else do that. Man, so you're just, I, I am a mixing engineer, mm. but I won't mix my own stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, I'm too close to it. Right. I can't hear the things that are there, and I can hear the things that aren't there. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, my mix would be terrible of my stuff. Right. Right. And just because you've sat with it for so long right. that your ears are used to whatever's bad, and think it's good. Right. <laughs> um, there was a, a, a couple of songs on that first record that I played them back for a hero of mine who I got to meet and got to... I played... I, and I opened up for him uh, and then ended up staying in touch and I went to his house in Maryland and uh, got to have dinner with him as a guitarist and vocalist, Raul Midon. He's a fantastic, fantastic musician. Another sort of polymath person, renaissance man. He's blind and plays the guitar uh, finger style and so he's got all this flamenco stuff but he's got this great R&B stuff and he's got this great jazz stuff and he can kind of do a many, many different things. And when you ask people, how do you describe Raul? Uh, I don't know. How do, you, how do you categorize him? Uncategorizable. These are my people. The uncategorizable yeah. people. I love that. Those that refuse to fit into a box. Yeah. Square peg. Not me. I'm a starfish. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so, so I played stuff for Raul and he goes... You know, I think you probably could have sung that uh, in your falsetto instead of doing the full chest voice on this part. I went, man, you're right. Crap. Yeah. <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> it's, I was hoping you'd say, I really like this, but right. instead he had real meaningful feedback. But, but it's almost if you take it to somebody and they don't give you something to change, yeah. you're like, well, I don't really trust your opinion now. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it would have been nice, would have been flattering, but yeah. turns out his ears are really good and I had missed stuff. And uh, so, so record number two, when I dig into it, and that'll hopefully be starting later this year, will be as collaborative as possible. I want every song to have somebody else looking at it before I'm done writing it and uh, somebody else recording with me and other guest artists on each one and guest producers and... You know, I've got this long list of people that I want to collaborate with, and uh, you know, I'm certainly not going to get through all of them on this record. But I think that's going to make a more interesting product, mm-hmm. and it's going to be something that I'm more happy with because I've had people run by it. Although there have been people that say, you know, I changed the core concept of this, and I went, ah, shoot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you so, know, at some point, you know, you want to take that advice and you go, you know, I hear what you're saying. I'm, I'm going to keep what I got. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I appreciate the feedback. I'm keeping what I got on this one. That also, too, is kind of the gist of the CI program. Is you know a teacher that will push back and say, well, why don't you sing it completely opposite from what you've been doing? Are you sure you want to be that person? Is this your core value or just what you've been led to? Right. Is this your core? Is this who you are? Or is this happenstance your skill set? You know, you're playing the violin like an electric guitar. Why don't you just play electric guitar? 
That's a question I'm sure you get sometimes mm-hmm. too, right? And so then you have to really dig into it and say, well, what are the sounds that I can only do on electric violin that I cannot do on guitar? And they exist, and they're good. But if it could be done on electric guitar, we'll just hire a guitar player, you know? I mean, obviously, there's the convenience and the pride sure. of doing it yourself. Yeah, and that's, that's my answer. Well, why don't you just play electric guitar? Because I'm way better at the violin. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I mean, and this is, this is a hard truth that I've been wrestling with now. It's like, I do want to be a guitarist, too. So I've been practicing my ass off for the last, like, three years. I've played guitar almost every day. It's really hard to maintain more than one instrument right. at, at a professional level. For right. a long time, I was a professional-level violinist and trumpet player. Really? And, um, and it's, it takes a lot of time, mm-hmm. as you know, mm-hmm. to maintain pro-level playing ability, especially on something as difficult as the violin. Violin is nuts. Well, trumpet <laughs> is the same kind of deal because if you don't play a lot... Those lip muscles. Yeah, those chops go away. you got to have them. Yeah, so I, I long since gave up the goal of trumpet player. I do have a trumpet. I can play about two octaves on it. But when I saw that it was going to be violin-level challenging, nah. Yeah. Same thing with tabla, the, the Indian drum. Man, I love the sound of it. I bought a set. I practiced a bunch. Uh, I can fake a gringo gig. Yeah. <laughs> but no way am I ever going to be a professional tabla player. I have a collaborator who I work with a lot who's an amazing tabla player, Rajesh Bandari lives in Delray Beach, Florida, and um, it's like a good excuse to go tour down to Miami. Sure. You know, like I get You to don't have enough there. syllables in your name to be a tubble player. No. Rob Flax McGonagall stand. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll work on it. I'll work on it. Yeah. I want to mention our sponsor, Electric Violin Shop. Located in Durham, North Carolina, EVS is a hub for electric string players all over the world. No other place has the selection of instruments, amps, and effects. No other place has the expertise that comes along with years of touring with and dealing in electric strings. No other place has the long relationships with players, innovators, and manufacturers. You can find EVS on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, or at electricviolinshop.com. Hit us up for free advice and to purchase all the gear that helps you express yourself. Work all night, sleep all day. You can do that too. So let's pick a tune from your first album, mm-hmm. and uh, just sort of just just any tune that just sort of pops in your head, and talk me through. Just uh, give me behind the music on that tune, and then we'll let people hear it in its entirety. Nice. Okay. Do you want one that I recorded all myself, or one that I, I did? Hey, this is your interview. You pick what you want to pick. <laughs> can I do two? You, uh, sure. Okay. I mean, it's your interview. I'll just give you the first song and the last song. Okay. First song on the record is Persephone. Last song is photosynthesis. Both of them are wordy and have too many syllables and start with the letter P. Both of them were written at the Bates Dance Festival. This is a summer festival I go to every summer and I I teach kids music there. Um, Persephone was one that I wrote. um, It started off with this little melodic riff, which is this. Da 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 da
It's a little chunk of melody that doesn't quite fit rhythmically. You do it three times and it doesn't quite line up. Now that's surely borrowed from the Indian music I was obsessed with at the time. I met Raj at this dance festival. I'm super interested in tihais and the rhythmic cycles of Ntala and all that stuff. But it turned out to be that much of it was useful to find a cool melodic hook. And uh, I wrote most of the lyrics there um, just in, in like a week's time. Premiered that song at the festival. Got the whole musician staff there to play it with me. Somewhere I still have a video of that. Um, but eventually it came time to record it. And um, I wanted to do all the instruments. So I got... Uh, some some drum set and I'm playing I think brushes on a snare um, I took a Patron bottle put a contact mic on it and tapped on it and then put a really aggressive EQ so it was tuned to this ding 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 like in the key of F like I, I found an F and you had to drink it. just enough out of it oh it was empty <laughs> I drank just enough <laughs> but uh, I, you know I, I, I like percussion because you can really take anything and turn it into an instrument um that's something I've been getting in trouble in school for years about. It's tapping on the desk. And now I'm getting paid. Now I'm getting paid for it. That's right. I'm making tens of dollars <laughs> doing my childhood uh, habits. Um, I wanted like a clicky sort of bottle sound, so that's in there. Um, I, uh, I recorded uh, the violin through um, my pedal board. I love the sound of phaser on violin. Surely Jean-Luc Ponty is to blame for this but I just love phaser. So I'm strumming the violin, and it's got phaser on it. Um, I played the upright bass on this song. Um, I strummed the acoustic guitar well enough on these songs. I had a, a cheapo uh, Fender Dreadnought. I think I got for 150 bucks on Craigslist, and it sounds good enough. It's not really meaty and resonant in the low register, so it kind of is a nice plinkly thing in the background. If you listen to Jacob Collier's music ever, you'll find he has a lot of these string instruments that sort of, you need ten of them to fill up the mids. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is one of those guitars. Um, and indeed, one of the bits of feedback I got when I went to a, a festival, the, the CD Baby DIY Music Expo in Nashville, um, I played this for some people there in attendance and I said, you know, it needs a little extra. I put some mandola on it. I've got a, a really nice old Gibson Mandola, 1922 or 24, um, and uh, that was just a right, you know, just filled in the chunkiness a little bit nicely. Um, then I put some string parts on the second and third chorus and bridge, um, and I, you know, orchestrated some string stacks and, and did all that. Uh, and so the, the second half of the song has these lush orchestral string pads and sort of blooms. Um, it's got some, uh, what else is on there? <sighs> it's been a while. I think that's most of it. Um, oh, and the vocals, of course. I have three-part harmony vocals. It's got some oohs that are kind of maybe Beatles-esque, I would say. There's definitely a na, 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 sort of walk-down thing that could be Beatles-ish. Sure. Maybe Stairway to Heaven-ish, whatever. That's, you know, classic sound. And, and so that all smushed together, I recorded every bit of that in my apartment, and uh, it, it ended up sounding really good. My buddy Eric Heveron-Smith, who now lives in Asheville, North Carolina, 
he recorded or he he did the mixing for that. I sent him the logic session, and he could he could mix it up. Um, so that's the story for that one. Now. So 
Photosynthesis uh, is another song that I wrote at the Bates Dance Festival. This was one year later. This is the 2016 festival. The premiere of this, this video is still on YouTube somewhere. People can find this if they want. Um, the festival video excerpt. And normally, the way that that concert goes at the festival is all of the musicians sit on stage. Everyone presents one song, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an ensemble. You get everybody plays on everybody's stuff. Okay, yeah, cool. Or if somebody does a solo, then everybody just still sits there and watches them. And this is a room full of dancers watching musicians watch the other musicians. Mm -hmm. So half the time when people come up to me after these concerts, they go, I loved watching you watch them. You're so animated as you're watching them. I'm like, yeah, I was bopping around in my seat because I can't help it because it was good music and I'm a flailer. <laughs> so uh, I, I basically uh, was under the gun. I was procrastinating. And I couldn't quite get it done in time to rehearse something with the full ensemble. And I said, don't worry, I've got a looper pedal. <laughs> this is the first year I've had this boomerang looper, which is still to this day my favorite looper. It's got the most features. It just always works. Um, that's what I would be touring with if not for the compact Megabus challenge. Um, and I had, it's got all these features. I'm sure I can arrange something where I stack these layers in such a way that it's a full-sounding thing. I'm sorry, guys. I'll just wing it solo. It's going to work. Well, I looped a cajon. I brought a cajon, and I'm playing it with some brushes and my fingers and get some nice sort of kick snare, hi-hat sounds out of that. Take that, and I loop that, and then I play the violin parts, and I use an octave pedal and some... You know, I end up doing like a distorted sort of rock guitar solo over it, and a big stack of harmonies, and um, the final version of it has this, you know, three-octave range of singing in it. It's just really extravagant, all of these layers, and it, it's fairly well-constructed, I think. Um, and I got a standing ovation for this song, and I was finishing the lyrics backstage. That's awesome. It was third in the program. This is pre-intermission, and right. people just lost their minds. That was a big transformative moment. I said, I have to go tour the world now. And so that was only three years ago, less than three years ago. And I'm still trying to take that and translate it into who am I, what am I doing? I'm still, I'd like to say I'm in year two of going from musical expert craftsman to performing artist. I'm, I'm just a baby on this, which is exciting, but humbling and frustrating. Sure. <laughs> so this particular song, I was on another one of these Megabus tours. I had made it from Atlanta to Nashville, and this was for this CD Baby conference, actually. I got there on a 6 a.m. bus from Atlanta. 10 a.m., I went to the House of Blues studio. A friend of mine in Boston knew the engineer down there, put me in touch, and I had already been emailing him. I said, I need a drum kit set up with this and this and this kind of cymbal sound and this kind of snare sound. And I already had a producer mindset about how I wanted it to be. I'll need a Fender Stratocaster, I'm going to need a Rhodes, I need a P-Bass, I need um, all these different sounds, ideally three different snares, please. And I want to layer all of them. Um, if you have some auxiliary percussion ready, that would be great. I'm going to record some violin parts that are like I did them live at the festival. Through my pedal board, I'll take sort of a like an electric violin shred solo thing. 
Um, I also want to layer some acoustic string parts at the end and I'm going to introduce them piece by piece the same way I would with a looper so that the album version still sounds like the looper live version. So this is the first time I've done that where the looper determined the course and the scope of the arrangement. Um, even in the studio where I had the flexibility to track everything and not loop it. And uh, we did it all in a day. I played violin acoustically and electrically, Stratocaster, bass, Rhodes, uh, drum kit with several different snare parts, um, a bunch of like, uh, we took a, a tambourine shaker thing and then ran it through some crazy distortion. Uh, uh, there's a breathing thing also distorted to make the shaker extra beefy at the end and um, uh, all the vocal, harmony vocals and we, we did it from like 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. I then took a lift to a pop-up studio where YouTube had done a Nashville pop-up sessions as part of this conference I had applied to be one of the YouTube sessions people they picked me so the same day and I had been recording this song for the last 10 hours I then went and did a live take of it with my looper gear and you know that video is up as well on YouTube and I think it's still one of the, the best videos I have on YouTube is like seven cameras and professionally mastered audio and it looks really good and it sounds really good but that was like a, a 15 hour day of just one song and uh, it's still I think the one I'm the most proud of on the record but I put it last on the record because it was the transformative moment. It's a, mm -hmm. hopefully the start of a next chapter. And uh, also, I don't really care if people listen in order. I hope people shuffle. I hope they put my CD in their car and listen all the way through. And then it cycles well back to the first song. Probably hurt myself a little bit in terms of people listen to the single if it's up front on the record, yada, yada. But, um, you know, now you've heard it here, folks. Go listen go. to that. So we'll listen to it right now. Joy funnel down, straight to the blood, turn on the light. 
slow If you want to make it grow Can't get power from below Trees and flowers know That you've got to take it slow If you want to make it grow Can't get power from below Trees and flowers know That you've got to take it slow If you want to make it grow Can't get power from below That's why I'm wondering What if we fed up the sun can people find you and your music and how can they they find when you're going to be on the next megabus tour or come into their town or, or maybe come to a camp where you're teaching how can they find you mm, a few good ways my website robflax.com i update that myself i don't have any interns any manager booking person so hopefully that's up to date um if you really want to support me the most and you want to see all the behind the scenes stuff want to follow me on my journey be in touch I have a Patreon page, perfect. patreon.com slash robflax, and uh, I'm on Spotify. You can find my stuff on YouTube. For the both of those, just search Rob Flax. Um, Instagram is probably the social media platform I use the most. I'm posting all about my tour all the time there. And I do have an email list. Before I knew about the Patreon thing, um, email was a place for me to really connect and tell long, rambly stories. No, not rambly. Exciting and interesting there stories. Um, Riveting. Actually, I think they're good. I, I mean, I, I spend a lot of time writing these emails, and um, I get a few people back who say, I, I always love reading your emails. I can't come to your shows, but I love the emails you send, which is kind of the point. Right. right? Is if, if you can't make it to my show, here's a little snippet of something. Ultimately, this whole process of everything I'm doing could change tomorrow. I could you know, pick up a different instrument and stop trying uh, whatever, I'm going to keep coming back to violin, let's be honest. But, you know, it might be violin and trap beats. It might be violin and a bluegrass band. It might be a fusion project with tabla and cello, which, by the way, is on Spotify and Bandcamp, and you could listen to Trifecta as well. Um, there's so many different things that I like to do. I'm saying, if you want to get involved in my journey, find me in any of these places and keep in touch. Um, I teach at a bunch of camps. I teach Skype lessons. Um, changes from year to year, so yeah. What I just said. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> well, hey man, thank you for uh, for inviting me to your show the other night, and thanks for hanging out for a couple of days. My and, uh, pleasure. It's been a great time. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, man. For having me. Look forward to hearing the next record. Uh, sometime soon. I get distracted easily, so it might take a while, <laughs> but I'll try my best. Well, now we got to drink some more beer and listen to some more pink unicorns crapping on rainbows or something <laughs> YouTube's taking over my life man I found all the weird stuff there 
Uh, maybe I should make more YouTube videos. They're just weird YouTube videos. Indeed. They're yeah. the, those are the ones that go viral, right? Yeah, yeah. So, stay tuned. Awesome. Thank you for listening to another episode of Rockstar Violinist. I am so excited about the next few episodes. Huge stars. Huge. We'll see you again in a few more weeks with another Rockstar Violinist. <laughs>